Welcome to the Play Golf in College podcast with all things junior golf and college golf. Now here are your hosts, Coach Mark McDonald and PGIC founder, Coach Brad Sparling. Welcome back to the Play Golf and College podcast, where we talk about all things junior golf and college golf. This week, we have Coach Jamie Green, head men's golf coach at Duke University, on with us. And as the time of this podcast, Duke is ranked number two in the country. Coach Green has just done an unbelievable job uh, since his time at Duke. And we talk a little bit about academics, what it takes to get into a school like Duke, um, the support that they have for the athletes once they're there. We talk a little bit about developing a culture, handling adversity, getting better, and then, as always, a couple funny stories to the end. So I hope you enjoy this week's edition with Duke University and head coach Jamie Green. So, Jamie, being on our podcast this morning, I want to talk about academics. Having coached at Duke myself years ago, you know, Duke, Duke has a wonderful academic reputation, but a lot of junior golfers – that we run into really don't consider an elite academic institution like Duke as an option because they either think they won't get in or they can't handle the load when they get there, especially if they're considering playing professional golf. So if you can tell us a little bit about, you know, the process at Duke kids getting admitted and and what you're looking for academically when you recruit somebody. Sure. And and thanks for having me on coach. I, I appreciate it and look forward to this. Um, yeah, it's a great point that you're bringing up because, you know, the, the mystery of what schools to you know put yourself in front of and for us coaches, you know, the mystery of knowing of those players that we see at a tournament or the scores that we see, you know, online when we're following, following tournaments, we don't know necessarily not just what their academic accomplishments are, but really what their academic goals are. And so it's, it is important to kind of find that mix and, and that match. And the only way to do that is just to do a little digging. You know, on the on the academic side, the thing that's interesting, as you know, at Duke, you know, it's certain schools and we're one of them, fortunately, but they they just get more and more attention. So they're getting more and more applicants. You know, I don't even I don't know. It's in the tens of thousands of applicants. I think it was like 30,000 applicants last year. Wow. We're only 1800 people who get in uh, approximately in each class. So, you know, that's a very small percentage. And so what that means is. You know, it just means that the pool from which the admissions department is choosing just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. It doesn't necessarily mean, and I think this is the, you know, this is sort of the mystery unsolved, perhaps. It doesn't necessarily mean that the course load um, or the classes are incredibly harder than a lot of universities. I think once you get in, you find your niche, you know, and, and we'll, I know we'll talk about this probably in another segment or question, but. You know, that's kind of the key for our academic support system is to work with our players once they get there and really even in the recruiting process, but just finding out what do you what do you enjoy? What are you good at? What do you enjoy? What do you want to do? Um, Not and just not force them into classes that they just happen to fit a good time schedule or they happen to seem easy. You know, our academic advisor does a really good job of letting our players know, you know, one class that's easy for one guy is, is a bear for another. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that there are easy classes or hard classes. It really just comes down to what your strengths are and, and what you're enjoying studying. And inevitably, if you enjoy it, you're going to do well at it. So, you know, from the recruiting side of things, 
there are certain benchmarks that you know our admission staff kind of says, hey, we, we really kind of need a, a minimum in this SAT range, this ACT range, or, or grade point average, depending on, of course, the, the level of classes the kids are taking. They'll give us some, ben some benchmarks. Um, then inevitably, we're trying to find the student athletes, the guys on our case with the men's team, that you know they're motivated to do well in all areas, not just golf. They want to do well in the classroom. They want to do well, you know, representing the university and their parents and themselves. They they really want to succeed at everything they do. And when that's the personality, I've found that they're going to be successful at Duke. Right. So your typical student athlete, you know, give us a general idea of what their GPA is and what their ACT or SAT score may look like for, for sure. kids that you're recruiting, because it's different for a golfer and for a normal um, student applying for admission to Duke. That's, that's right. And, you know, whether you're Coach Koshevsky or, or Coach Cutcliffe, uh, Coach Danowski, any of these coaches that we've got on campus that are just absolutely brilliant at their sport, you know, the students that they're looking at as well, they're trying to find kids that are organized, uh, you know, young men that, are disciplined to, you know, just kind of want to do well and be successful, like I said. And, and they found that when that's the formula um, and there's at least a certain level of ability academically, then then they're going to do well. Now, you know, it, I do hesitate a little bit to give ranges or, or you know, kind of numbers because I know the admissions department, of course, they'll come back and say, hey, hold on a second. You know, the reality of it is um, I think when we see kids with SAT sections below 600, you know, even even if they've done, let's say, you know, kicked it out of the ballpark with with math and they scored like a 750 or a 700, but their their uh, reading comprehension, their English side is below 550. That's that's kind of a red flag for us. You know, we just have to look at it as a liberal arts institution and say, you know, we, we need a certain level of ability in that uh, English and, and reading comprehension range, because when you get here, you know, they're going to ask a lot of our student athletes in writing, working with groups, doing some readings that, you know, they've, they've really got to be a little bit more adept at that area. So we really kind of look for guys that have at least 600. Uh, and that's that's kind of the minimum. You know, obviously, once you get there, if you can get a little bit higher and depending on what your schooling has been getting ready for that SAT, obviously, the more the better. Um, the ACT side, you know, you got multiple sections, but you know, we're really kind of at a minimum looking for guys that are in the high 20s in all those sections. You know, once you get in kind of the 25 or lower, um, our admission staff just feels like you're going to have to climb uphill a little bit too much when you get here. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't take the, the best scores. You know, ultimately, you can you can take that SAT a second time. You can take the ACT even though you tried the SAT the first time. You know, we're not discriminatory as far as which, which test they take or, or how many times they take it. Um, so, you know, really just kind of getting ready for the SAT, getting ready for the ACT, taking a bunch of practice tests, getting familiar with how the exam works. We found that that's, that's just been an, enough for our guys to do well. You know, on the academic classroom side, the GPA, it's, it's tough because as you know, with your, you know, with your listeners, um, there's so many different schools, different levels of classes. So, you know, it's dangerous to say, yeah, we need a GPA above 3.5. When in reality, you might have some schools that their GPA is a 5.0 limit. And so, you know, we, we like to say more A's than B's. And if there's a C on the on the report card, it's got to be extremely rare. And, you know, it's almost got to be something you got to sort of explain. You know, that was a, an, an early class. I was just kind of getting used to things, whatever. Not that you need to make excuses, but, you know, generally, if there's more B's than A's on the, on the report card for the kids looking at our school, that's that's going to be, again, kind of an uphill battle to get in.
Right. That's that's awesome information. I want to follow up on something you quickly touched on, Jamie. And I've seen this myself. Um, you know, I think there's a distinct correlation between time management abilities and golfing success in college. And you touched on that briefly. And I was fortunate enough to recruit and coach Adam Long at Duke, mm. who just won on the tour. And yeah. one of the reasons why we really liked Adam was because he was so exceptional at organizing his time and being just uh, on top of everything academically. And I think that's helped him with his golf. You have any thoughts on that? No question. I mean, you, you absolutely nailed it there, coach. And, and I think the reality of it with Adam, you know, people might say, Hey, it took him a few years to, to kind of bust through. And, um, you know, a good friend of mine, John Inman, who I worked for over at UNC, when you were at Duke, he used to yep. say, you know, you work your whole life to be an overnight ex- success. And so, you know, Adam has been getting after it in a course management, time management, you know, organizational way for years and years and years. It wasn't something he just started, you know, when he was 26 or 27. So you, mm-hmm. you saw that in recruiting him. Um, you can see it on the report card. You can see it, you know, maybe on the SAT or the ACT. But the reality of it is when we go out to tournaments, we see it when guys are warming up for play. We see it when they're done with rounds. We see how they go about their business, you know, between shots. All of that shows kind of time management and organizational skills and, kind of ability to focus and come in and out. He wasn't just good at time management, which he, which was a great skill and has helped him, I think, on the golf side. He was also good at being open to new experiences and being open to guidance. And so I, I think for your junior golfers that listen, you know, that's one of the things that I think has been really beneficial for Adam. But yeah, when you're out on tour and it's your, it's your life, it's full time, it's your job. You know, a lot of kids think, oh, I'll, I'll make it once I'm out there because I won't have school, you know, kind of hold me down. But you're absolutely right. The skill set that he had and he continued to build on, you know, as a as an organizational student and a guy that manages workouts, manages relationships. You know, he still had friends. I mean, that's the thing that's cool about Adam, you know, girlfriends, friends. He'd, he'd hang out and go to basketball games as much as anybody but he knew when to segment his time so that, you know, he looked at the weekend coming up and didn't just say, ah, you know, I'll wait till Sunday night to get started. He really looked at hour by hour and figured out how, what do I want to do with my golf? What do I want to do with my academics? How am I going to get my food in? How am I going to do my laundry? You know, what kind of time am I going to spend with my friends aside from golf? He he really kind of broke it all down. And then, you know, I think when you, you get into those patterns, you can, you can handle life on tour when there's so much going on, you know, a lot of kids just think it's, it's practice and play. And as you know, there's outings, there's meetings, there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff of travel, you know, when you raise the family, it's, it's difficult to balance it all. And, and you're right. The guys that really can figure out how to organize themselves, they, they end up probably being gold when the time is right there in front of them. Absolutely. Love that. And conversely, the guys that aren't on top of their stuff are the ones that, uh, that suffer, not just in school, but with the golf, at least in my experience. Um, that's, right. that's awesome stuff. Jamie, one thing you mentioned, I think that was right on the money, uh, is I think it's, it's easy for the college golfer to think that once they graduate, all these, all these things are just off their plate. And like you said, it's just golf and, uh, golf and whatever else they have going on. And it's, as we, as you, as you get out of school, you quickly learn that all of that schoolwork or homework is quickly replaced by many, many other things. Uh, and there's so many things to juggle as you're, as you're starting off as a professional. And I, I learned this quickly as well with even just, uh, trying to manage travel, uh, things that you've never even done before can quickly creep up on you. And and we find out that all those things are, uh, have a huge impact on performance as well. 
There's no doubt. You know, that's one of the things where, you know, as coaches, when we're with our players, we're trying to do so much to help them, you know, save time because we know that they've got classes to attend. We know that they've got group meetings. We know that they have projects and, and exams and papers to write. So, you know, we're trying to do all these things to help them, you know, with travel, with dining, with, you know, workouts. We're trying to get all these things in place for them. But at the same time, we're also trying to give them ownership of those areas, too. You know, we're I think one of the things we've been very good at lately at Duke, and we can just point right to the top, our, our athletic director, Kevin White, was really the guy that pushed this for us, was we've worked hard for our student-athletes to benefit from better nutrition. And we're not saying just, you know, have food available, but really have people there that can help educate our players. Our players get kind of one-on-one -on -one work with a with the nutritionist, they talk about what their goals are. You know, are you working out? Are you trying to get stronger? Are you trying to get leaner? Are you trying to, what are you trying to get out of this? And, and knowing that you've got some late night studying, knowing that you're going to be in a hurry going from class to practice. You know, what are the ways that it's not just pizza and, you know, something fast, but it's also what are you doing while you're playing? How are you eating? How are you hydrating? And I, I think the better we're doing as coaches and in college of helping our players kind of own their own system, the faster they're going to do well, hopefully if they want to make it out there on tour, you know, they, they don't have to hire a nutritionist. You know, they, they kind of have a good balance and, and understanding of how their body works and what works well. And when they play their best, what are they putting in there? So, you know, that's just one little snippet of it. You, you bring up a great point. It's as much as we can to give the guys, you know, an ability, Hey, we're going to give you the time frame. Here's where we're going to leave what are you going to do with your hour and 25 minutes? You know, we'll, we'll help them build in their practice round routine and their, their regimen, but ultimately they own it, you know, and they have to see what works for them and then communicate with us and try to find ways to make it best. But yeah, you're right. When you get out there and you try to play professionally, there's, you got to raise money. You know, not everybody's going to get out there and, and be a, a guy that gets seven sponsor exemptions. In fact, not just not anybody, just probably 0.01% are going to get those. <laughs> So, you know, the life of the professional golfer is really finding a place to play, finding a place to practice. You know, it's an interview process as a as an independent contractor. And you, you've got to learn some of those skills, hopefully while you're in college. I think one thing you brought up was a really good point. I think the nutrition aspect of things is something, in my opinion, that's been lacking, uh, whether it's at the collegiate level, but especially with the juniors that we work with, whether we're watching them practice and they are just consider. I mean, they're strictly dehydrated is the only way to put yeah. it or they have been have not been properly fueling themselves and all of a sudden we wonder why we look at their scorecard we see their last five or six holes and they just throw I mean it looks like they threw in the towel but mm -hmm. uh, most of those players that's one of the first things Brad and I ask them is just well were you eating well, enough gee. were you drink enough yeah exactly right. and half the time none of the guys wait well I haven't eaten since breakfast and all of a sudden right. it's two or three o'clock now and they haven't eaten so right. or I ate a bar at a turn or I stuffed down a hot dog at the turn yeah that's <laughs> You know, the thing about it, for our, and again, the earlier you can learn these things and, and practice them, you know, it's not just, hey, somebody told me I need to eat this, so I'm going to do it. No, you actually got to try it and see how that works for your body. And, you know, one guy might need more carbs, one guy might need a little bit more protein. One guy, you know, gosh, if he drinks too much, he almost feels like he's bloated. So, I mean, you really have to figure things out. One of the things you... You, you guys were asking about some of the stories that we had. It's, this is an interesting one. I, I, I laugh about it because I think it's funny, but it's the reality of how players can get better. And, you know, we've, we've had a really good team here the last year or so where the guys on the, on the squad and it started from the top and all the other guys have learned that it's going to help. They paid attention to little, little, little details. You know, how much sleep are they getting? How, how good is the sleep that they're getting? 
you know, how much are they they're segmenting their time so that they're getting the most out of a workout, the nutrition aspect, all those little things that, you know, it's it's not your golf swing. It's it's not the videos and the angles and, you know, it's not all that necessarily. Those That's a function for sure. But when you take care of all these things that you have control over, and that's what we talk to our guys about is when you have control over something like nutrition, like sleep, as much as you have a, a control over it, you know, what are you doing about it? And so our guys this year, you know, like I said, we, we talked to them. We got some nutritionists involved. And a tournament up in Louisville, it was our second event of the year. Um, we had played 36 holes at our home event, the Rod Myers Invitational, and kind of ran out of gas. And I think we, you know, to our own uh, fault, we, we probably didn't prepare for that as well. You know, our guys didn't play as many 36-hole days leading into the fall um, as, you, you know, we'd like for them to. And, and as you know, Coach, you can't do that. You know, unless you have a day off from from a holiday, you can't play that many holes in practice in a day. So right. it's hard to train for that. But, you know, what we realized is, OK, it wasn't just the amount in the cardio. It was the food. It was, you know, when were you guys eating? How often were you eating? What were we doing about it? So we really made a concerted effort for that second tournament in Louisville. And I told them, you know, the, the plane ride on the way over there. All right. Every single guy, you've got your choice of deli meats. What do we got? You like turkey, you like ham, you like roast beef, chicken, what is it? You know, what kind of cheese? Do you want lettuce? Do you want tomato? Do you want a condiment? What kind of, do you want wheat? Do you want white? You know, I tried to get as much information so that I knew what they liked to eat. And then we literally made them sandwiches after sandwiches after sandwiches. PB and J's were thrown in there. And in the practice round, we forced them to eat. I mean, we literally said, all right, it's been 25 minutes. Eat a, eat a piece of sandwich, you know, and, and continue to hydrate, continue to hydrate. And it was, you know, it was laughable. It was, it was, you know, the guys were saying, this is crazy. I can't imagine that I would eat like this tomorrow. Well, the next day comes and it's the first round of the event and we had practiced it. And yes, the coaches, we pushed it, pushed it, pushed it, but the guys bought in and one of our players, Adrian uh, Pendaris from France, it was a sophomore year this year. And he said, God, I've never eaten that much on the golf course. And what do you know? I finished Eagle birdie shot 64. And the team shot 27 under par. It's the, it's the lowest round the team has ever shot in Duke history. We had a 61, two 64s, a 68. We threw out a 71. And it wasn't a different team than what we had a week and a half earlier. It was just we handled things differently. We ate differently. And the guys said they had more energy than they can imagine having after a round. So, you know, it was, it was kind of a funny way to have to approach it. But I'd like to think that's something that we realize, hey, it can pay off. It doesn't always show in a score like that, obviously. But, you know, if, if you can be disciplined about it as a junior and just practice eating literally a bite after every tee shot, you know, because you got hopefully, you know, 250 paces or more to get to your ball, knock it down, put it away, and, and not eating a big amount, but a real small amount, but just continuing to keep that level of energy, you know, no peaks and valleys of sugar intake, but just nice and steady and the same with liquids, then what you're finding is that your decisions are more consistent. Your emotions are more consistent. Your reactions to shots are more consistent, be they, you know, good shots or bad shots. So anyway, that's a long answer to your question, but I, I've really found that with our team, they're starting to buy into it and, you know, it's, it's helping with our results. Yeah, that's a great story. The thing that we find with our juniors and the simplest thing any junior college player can do to increase your performance is get adequate and consistent sleep eat correctly and hydrate correctly. And if you do that, it's going to, it's going to really pay off on the golf course. That's an awesome story, Jamie. Yeah. And the only other thing I'll throw in there, you know, we've got a freshman who wasn't in the, in the lineup that week and you know, he'd, he'd been struggling a little bit. He'd, he'd been late to a couple things. He, you know, 
granted, it's your first semester. You're getting used to life. You're trying to figure out, you know, where you're going and what you're doing. Um, but we had to work backwards from sleep. You know, I had to say, okay, what time are you getting to sleep? Well, I just, I just have a hard time really getting tired until after 1130. All right, well, what time are you eating dinner? Well, probably 730 or 8. I said, all right, that's what we got to change. The first thing that we're going to change is you're not going to eat dinner later than 630. You know, let's start there. Um, but working your way backwards, you know, we can preach all we want saying, get better sleep, get more sleep. But, you know, like you said, with your time management, with your habits, if you're not building up to kind of a slowdown period, then your body's not ready to sleep. So, you know, those are the things where it takes more discipline at two in the afternoon at four in the afternoon at six at night. Those are the times where, you know, rather than letting time slip away, being proactive so that when it comes time to get good sleep, you're ready. Coach, I think one thing that's really cool with the story that you guys that you just talked about, uh, and I think it's important for our listeners, especially our junior golfers, to to understand was that those things don't just happen in competition. And you, you mentioned that you have to practice it, uh, yeah. whether it's the nutrition or whether it's things in your golf game, like a pre-shot routine. We can't just expect in competition for it to be there. Yeah. Uh, same thing with with mental things. Um, you've got to make sure that you are practicing those things prior to your competition. Like you said, sometimes you've got to tweak it and fine tune things and see what works and what doesn't work, but it takes some time to implement some of those things so that when you get in competition, you, you don't have to think about it. No uh, but it, it, ta- it takes some time to, to build up and be able to do that on your own. Yeah. Um, one, th- one thing, if, if we're talking about academics uh, for <coughs> our listeners out there with Duke, uh, obviously it seems like they're getting lots of support with their game on the golf course. Uh, how about with academics? What kind of support do your athletes get um, academically, tutors? Do you have them do study tables, those kind of things? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know what I found is it, it doesn't matter if it's Duke. You know, I, I was coaching at UNC Charlotte for about five or six years before I got to Duke. Um, you know, and, and we had guys that were academic All-Americans and done, done pretty well, but it didn't start that way. You know, when I got there, we had, shoot, we had four guys that had a GPA below 2.0. So it took some turning around. But one of the things that I felt like was important for our players, and it sounds kind of silly, but go to class every day. Start mm-hmm. there. Show up. You know, it's put on your hard hat, put, take your take your lunch pail, because the reality of it is when you go to college, you know, nobody's pushing you out the door. And so, you know, the very first thing I said, I'll, all I want you to do is just be there. Quit hitting the snooze bar seven times, you know, make a decision. Here's what I'm going to get up. This is so much time I need. I'm going to be there. And I know it sounds, sounds kind of silly, but just going and being in there and not sitting in the back row and kind of nodding off or looking down at your phone in between your legs, but really you know, focusing on what's going on for just that 45 minute or that hour and 10 minute, you know, window of class time, just sit in the front of the room, sit in the middle of the class, you know, just take some steps so that you don't have to work so hard after class to try to catch up. And so that was the first thing that we tried to do differently is to get guys, you know, kind of just changing their habits a little bit, going to and being in class. Um, and again, this isn't stuff I, I invented. Roland Thatcher, when I was at Auburn as an assistant way long time ago, back in the mid to late 90s, um, who played on tour for a while, mid, um, you know, some web.com still, he's still playing as a, as a career. You know, Roland was a straight A student and he gave me his advice. You know, we, we talked about how he was successful as a student athlete. And one of the things he did were the things that I just said. He got in, in the front of class. You know, he, he sat in the middle, he paid attention. When he was done with class, he rewrote some notes. You know, he really did some things so that he didn't have to spend all that time trying to play catch up, you know, after the class was over. So that's the first thing. 
You know, the second thing is uh, it, we felt like it was important for our players, regardless of the ability that they come come in with, you know, regardless of their SAT score, their grades, or, you know, whatever AP classes that they've taken, that they meet with our academic advisor for golf, for student athletes, once a week. You know, it's a class time, basically. It's a scheduled meeting. And I had to have our academic advisors buy into that. But, you know, really the idea there is that you've got somebody besides the coach, somebody besides your parents, somebody, somebody besides your, your professor, um, just connecting with you and just checking in. How's, how's the syllabus going? What do you have coming up? What's your weekend look like? You know, talk about that test you just took. What were you struggling with? You know, just having another adult there that you can sit with, and it doesn't have to be 30 minutes. It could be five or 10 minutes just as a check-in. But, you know, having that consistent meeting with, a, with our advisor kind of helped with our players' accountability. Um, and it also helped, you know, our advisors keep me in touch and say, hey, this guy's he's struggling a little bit in this class. Um, you know, he's, he's, um, he, you may notice it on the golf course in practice. So, you know, just kind of having that collective uh, accountability with everybody was important for our program. But I'll say it starts with the student athlete. Ultimately, when, when you guys are asking on the recruiting side, you know, I can talk about SAT numbers and grades and all that, but the number one thing I look for is self-starters, guys that are self-motivated, intrinsically motivated. They're not motivated by mom and dad saying you ought to do this or their coaches or their teammates, really. They are motivated inside by something they want to accomplish. And once we have guys that have that, then you just have them decide what it is that they want to accomplish and, and help them find the roadmap to get there. But they've got to want it on the inside. And I think that's you know, that ends up being the biggest difference when we recruit players, you know. Yeah, of course, we, we don't want guys that lose their cool and, you know, snap a club or, or guys that, you know, really aren't spending time preparing for tournaments. But ones that are really self-motivated are the ones that kind of win out when we're trying to choose a, a recruit versus one and the other. Right. So let's talk more about that, what you're looking for in recruiting. And um, specifically, I think you've always done a great job of exactly what you said, identifying kids who work really hard, and they tend to always improve. Um, so talk to us about recruiting and specifically mm -hmm. how you determine if somebody has it inside, you know, what really yeah. counts and they really want it. Well, you know, obviously that's that, that's the, uh, the $10,000 million question, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's the toughest one because Coach Griffin, who I worked for back at, at Auburn, he's a Hall of Famer and now retired, but he always used to say, you know, you can't rip open somebody's rib cage and see what their heart looks like on the inside. That's right. just – that's one of those things you get, you just have to read between the lines. You know, I hate to say it this way, but the reality of it is there's so many kids and parents that are savvy. They know how to write a really good recruiting letter. You know, they know how to look good. Um, sometimes out on the range, they, they do all the right things. So again, that, it doesn't mean that there aren't kids with good intentions out there that are doing those things, but it isn't easy, you know, to kind of identify what's going on when you don't see them. You know, you've had a lot of famous people always say that, you know, you're, you're only as good as you are when people aren't watching. And so, you know, that's the thing. We're, we're not going to hide in the bushes. Um, you know, I'm not going to do it that way. But we do watch as much as we can. You know, we try to look for how they're reacting uh, after shots. We try to look for how do they interact with volunteers on the golf course? How are they handling rules officials if there's a scenario that comes up? You know, regardless of whether it's their, you know, their issue. How's the other guy in their group and how are they interacting? Are they helping the guy with the rule or are they just kind of, walking away and leaving them alone. You know, we're, we're looking for guys that are, um, you know, they're, they're pretty special people and, and they're self-motivated. Yes. But you know, they've got a lot of, a lot of talents and a lot of good heart on the inside. So it, it takes a little while to kind of identify those things. Um, 
you know, I, I think the reality of it is when you have a conversation with the coach, be ready, you know, have some questions for the coach ready and, and ones that maybe aren't vanilla as a coach, we can't keep asking kids, um, you know, tell me what your practice routine is like, or tell me what a, a normal week is like or whatever. After a while, you kind of know what to say. So ask coaches tough questions. You know, when you are old enough to have that conversation with the coach on the phone or, you know, albeit on a campus, be, be ready to ask him really good things that are, that are insightful that matter to you. And I think that's, that's important for me. You know, when I'm recruiting somebody and I see that somebody's taking the time to pay attention to what they really want in a golf program and in a coach such that they're making it very personal and they're thinking outside the box, um, that kind of makes an impression on me. So I don't know. I think that's, that's, probably part of it, you know, but ultimately the identifying part, you know, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say it, it comes down to scores because it does, you know, at the end of the day, we, there are all these other things that you have control over, but ultimately you got to be able to put up some numbers. Now, the only thing I'll say about that, and I've been saying this for years at camps and, you know, I've, I've done it with our own players and, and I did this way back when I was, you know, coaching as an assistant, different players and I learned from other coaches Get as far forward on that golf course and shoot some scores in the red. I don't, I don't care who you are. Um, you know, yes, coaches are going to look at tournament scores, but just as you guys were asking me about in practice, you have to practice being comfortable, being one under, six under, five under. And sometimes that isn't going to happen right away from, you know, 6,800 yards. Sometimes you got to get to 4,800 or 5,200 or something. You know, find out what it's like. What are you losing shots in? Is it your wedge play? Is it your putting on downhill left or right sliders, you know, until you really identify with scoring clubs and with your putter, what's costing you shots. It, it doesn't really matter what you can do from 7,000 yards. So I really want our players and, and recruits as much as possible, go up to forward tees. You know, can you imagine if you entered some scores or you looked at your scorecard and you saw nothing but rounds in the sixties for three weeks and you might say, well, that's, that's cause I only played from, you know, the way forward tees. Well, okay. Then once you set a benchmark, let's say it's a 63 or a 64 or 65, then say, I'm going to move back a set of tees and stay there until you shoot that same 63 or four or five. You know, and when you get used to shooting those, those rounds, your brain just adjusts, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not fighting to stay under 75 anymore. It's, it's scrapping and clawing to get to six under while you're sitting at five for four holes in a row. So, you know, those are the things that I think our, our young players can learn from. And, you know, I don't need to know how you got there. I just need to know finally when the tournament comes that you've practiced being well, well under par. And that's kind of where the game has gone. There's just so many good young players that can hit it a long way. But now they're smarter with their course management. They're smarter with their practice time. So, you know, you've got to create ways that you're building a better brain to shoot low scores. And that's I would recommend that for anybody. Coach, I think that's some awesome information. One thing I wanted to go back to real quick that you mentioned that uh, Brad and I talk about all the time is just asking coaches really good questions. And I think all too often these these junior golfers think that um, it's just strictly an interview process for the coach to get to know them. But I try and flip it a little bit and I say it's just important for for you to get to know the coach. And all we, Brad and I preach about uh, finding the best fit for these players to continue their career. And if uh, if they're not asking really good questions and not asking a lot of questions about these coach, uh, it's going to be hard to get a good idea of what that program's like. And I think it's I think it, it is so important to be asking those coaches lots of questions. No doubt. You know, and, you know, you can search it. I mean, shoot, there's so many different things you can come up with on the Web. Sometimes I'll literally 
you know, I'll, I'll just pull up what are good questions to ask teenagers, you know, and I'll just, I'll just try to, you know, come up with anything different. Cause again, you can kind of get into the same routine, you know, on the golf side and the golf questions. And, you know, when, when recruits and families and, and parents on campus are, are asking me questions like, you know, tell us about your family. Tell us about, I, I happen to have three 13 year olds right now and a 16 year old, you know, tell us about what it's like to have all those teenagers running around and, and what do you struggle with or what do you find the most joy in or whatever, you know, or, or tell me about a time with your golf team that you were really, really disappointed or mad or, or tell me about what you felt like was one of the best accomplishments you ever watched with one of your players over four years. I mean, something more than just what's your short game facility like, you know, and I think the more that you can really kind of ask some, some tough questions, some detailed questions, some deep questions, you're going to get to know, you know, you're going to start to have instincts about coaches as well as a junior golfer. And, and you're going to say, you know what, I can see playing for this guy, you know, when the, to- when the going gets tough or, or when we can win a conference championship, I, I can see wanting to do this or the obvious, you know, the, the opposite, I'm sorry. Um, you know, the opposite would be, I, I just don't know if I can, if I can play here. I don't know if this is a good spot for me and you know that it's okay to find out both things. Beautiful. That's great. Let's transition a little bit to how you're working with your players once they're on campus. Well, it's, it's individual, you know, and it's an individual sport. We try to do our best to, to make a group environment. We, we do work out together three days a week, and, and that really kind of helps with that, that sort of energy and that chemistry. Um, and, and we find that that tends to kind of carry over. Our guys eat more meals together. You know, we've got training table now on campus, again, thanks to our, our department, our athletic director, who think that that's an important area. But, you know, from a player-by-player standpoint, it, it is different, Coach. And, and I think some guys, you know, one player on our team right now, excuse me, needs a little bit more swing work. You know, he's, he's coming out of winter a little bit rusty, and, and we're spending some time and trying to identify – you know, why is it that you're struggling with the driver and not your irons right now? Let's take a look at some patterns. Um, and it could be real basic stuff. Just absolutely could be setup or, or ball position. Um, sometimes, heck, it might even be a club. You know, so that's one area. I was just picking a certain player. You know, there's another guy on the team that was working really hard on his body and, and he was working hard in the weight room and he's gotten injured. And no, so now we're having to struggle or, or I shouldn't say struggle. We're having to deal with if he may be struggling mentally, you know, what's, what's it going to be like for him to not be able to practice and not be able to, you know, to be around the guys in the same environment on the road. So, you know, it really kind of depends on the guys. We really go person by person. Now we, we do still have team practice, you know, a couple hours a week. We try to set up some short game drills and we try to make them as random as possible. Um, Sometimes I know it's really good for coaches and, and we do some of this as well, where it's really consistent. The coaches or the players know coming in, Hey, we're going to have this up and down drill, you know, Tuesday and Thursday at two o'clock and, and they can build around that. And, and I also endorse that. Um, but in, in a lot of our practice, we're doing some things that we know in all likelihood after watching our players practice, they're probably not doing on their own. Um, you know, as, as you guys are aware, you don't practice fairway bunker shots very much. I mean, it's just a, you don't have sometimes the facility to do it. Um, or B, you're out there in a round of golf and you might just have one or two. It's just not something you work on. So, I mean, yesterday was a good example. We had fairway bunker shot practice for a, a pretty healthy period of time where the guys had a pretty tough drill. And, you know, I always tell them when we're doing these, these contests or these drills, there's a lot of different reasons for them. One is to find out if something's tough for you. You know, is, is that 40-yard bunker shot just killing you? And what is it? And now that you know that because we've identified it in a drill – 
our guys should make some time for that. Either ask for some advice or we're going to give you some, or, or you just need to get in there and start doing it on your own and realize that that's not something that needs to cost you anything uh, in the next tournament. So they identify something that they're struggling with. They then decide, I'm going to put some time in on that. Or they identify some things they're just awesome at, you know, some things that, man, I have no trouble when I have a mid iron out of these fairway bunkers. When I've got seven, eight and iron, no big deal. You know, I can hit it crisp and clean. And, and as long as I got a decent lie, it's all good. So, you know, now that's starting to build their confidence on a course management side. Now they're, they're out there looking at a fairway that's got a couple of guarded bunkers, but they realize the lip's not too high. I'm not going to have a wedge out of there. I'm probably going to have about a seven or an eight iron out of there. I'm going to go ahead and bust driver. And if it's in the fairway, awesome. If it's in a bunker, no big deal. So, you know, that drill gives them a little bit of awareness that's going to help them in a tournament. Um, and then ultimately, yes, I, I do want them not just to be building confidence, but sometimes on those drills, I want it to be tough enough that there might be a frustration level that they've got to overcome. You know, some frustration tolerance is kind of what I call it. So, you know, if it's challenging enough, that you're getting a little bit frustrated. Well, what happens in tournaments? Of course, you're going to be in that environment. And so how are you going to handle it? Are you going to step away, take a breath, take a bottle, you know, drink of water, um, refocus, change up your, you know, whatever it is, how are you going to flip the switch so that that frustration doesn't grow and stay with you for five or 10 minutes instead of being gone in two minutes? So, you know, again, we're, we're trying to do a little bit of everything for each guy, but also we do find that there are certain areas that, you know, we, we almost have to nudge them into practicing areas because they kind of get left alone. As, as you know, a lot of times it's too easy to kind of practice what you're good at. Um, and that's good. It's it building building confidence. But ultimately, you only have a window of time you're going to use for practice. So you got to make sure you're covering all bases. So yep. we, we do as much as we can in that regard. When, when a kid shows up to college, and it, this could be specific to Duke or Charlotte or any of the other places you coach or just in general from your interactions with other, other college coaches, but Generally, when somebody shows up to college and you're working recruiting the elite player, what are the skills that they typically are lacking or could could do a better job of preparing before they get to college? Um, I've never – well, I shouldn't say never. <laughs> I, I can't imagine the time. I'd have to really give it some thought that a player was a good enough wedge player that they could compete with the elite college player or the player that was trying to make it as a professional golfer when they showed up to campus, you know, yes, you, you may have the, you know, the Justin Thomases or the Jamie Lovemarks or the Tiger Woods, some of these guys that as freshmen were awesome. You know, they were maybe the number one player in college golf their freshman year. That's, that's the rarity for sure. But I'll bet you even those guys, and we all know, well, we do, we're old enough to know, but you know, your listeners may not. When Tiger was playing, he was dominating at every level, but when he got on on tour, he had to become a better wedge player. You know, he wasn't controlling his spin rate. He wasn't controlling his, his uh, uh, you know, kind of distance control. But more than anything, he worked on trajectory and spin rate. You know, he needed golf balls that were going to skip and stop or land softly. You know, he, he really, really improved in that area as he became a professional. And when he did, gosh, nobody could touch him, right, for a period of time. But mm-hmm. I, I just don't see wedge play being something. And I, when I say wedge play, um, basically, sure, all short game, you know, you can work on. And, and there are some magicians. There's some great junior golfers I've seen out there that have incredible ability with short game shots around greens. Just, you know, and again, we do look at that when we're recruiting. You know, I have a, a terrific assistant coach in Bob Heights who spent time on tour, who had a great short game when he was out there uh, and, and had been a terrific putter and still is. So. 
he's great for me as a recruiter to give me feedback on what the skill set is of our junior golfers in that short game regard. But as far as wedge play, we're really talking about shots that, you know, are, are not just pitches, but they're getting longer than pitch shots, that 40 yard range to a hundred whatever, you know, maybe it's 120 or 140 these days for some guys wedge play, but all of that window, you know, when, when junior golfers can really um, not just say, yeah, I'm hitting my wedges solid, but they can change the flights, you know, and they can do it by just experimentation. I think that's, uh, yes, there's great wedge instructors and, and instructors out there. You know, swing coaches can help players for sure, and, and other accomplished players can give guidance, and, and you guys can give, give guidance to junior golfers. But a lot of improvement just comes from being out there alone with your wedges and just experimenting and, and being open to trying different ball positions. You know, maybe I hood it put it in a little bit, or maybe I open the face just a little bit, or maybe I, you know, just be creative and, and start to learn some things about wedge play. How do you use the bounce a little bit? What do you do when the ball's sitting down? But the better they can build, build wedge skills before they come to college, boy, it makes a huge difference. And, and to, I know I'll, I'll ramble a little bit, but to tell a quick story. There was a kid um, from Sweden named Jonas and Andrew Hedden who played for us when I was at UNC Charlotte. And you know, his resume wasn't the greatest. He didn't have tons and tons of under par scores, but I really loved his organizational skills. I, I really liked the things he was going to bring to the table as far as maturity was concerned. And I liked his golf swing. You know, we didn't see him. I'd never even seen him play up, up in person. And I gave him a spot on the team anyway because of some of the other things I was impressed by. But before he came to campus, I said, you know what? In the, in the next month, if you could just really focus on wedge play, you know, really Make sure you're, you're comfortable with distances. Make sure you're comfortable in different lies, you know, not just getting dialed into a couple of yardages you like, but really, really working on ball flight. And he, he did. He dialed into that stuff, and he came in, and as nervous as he was in those first weeks, his wedge play really helped him score and compete against some guys that are, quite frankly, better players, you know, kind of from top to bottom than he was. And I think that helped him gain some, you know, belief in himself that, hey, I can hang here. So, you know, he's just one small example. He ended up being in our lineup a little bit, but, you know, by the end of his senior year, he was a second-team All-American, played on the Palmer Cup team. He was essentially just a walk-on for us. So, you know, really that's how important that part of the game can be. Great. All right, now we want a funny story. <laughs> um, you know, you, you kind of teed me up for this one and, and asked me about it. Heck, some I, I can't deny that some of the funniest stories out there include other coaches. I mean, yeah, this could not be about me. This could not be about me. Or you. No, but there's, you know, it's so it's so wonderful that we're we're surrounded by some of these guys. I've said, you know, you've gone to these coaches' conventions, Brad, for years, and, and I've always said, man, one of the best panels for our coaches' convention, just to have fun, is to get, like, the five funniest coaches up there and just telling stories, and, and I can tell you a few of those guys. Um, but, you know, from, from my perspective, um, I, I, you know, there's just so many team trips are just a blast. And, you know, that's, that's what you come to college for on the golf side in terms of being, terms of being on a team. You want to go on those trips. It's, it's really the toughest thing. I always say team qualifying is probably the hardest, you know, most challenging environment for guys because you work your butt off and practice for weeks. And if you don't play well in qualifying, you don't travel. And if you don't travel, man, you feel like, what the heck am I doing here? And that's, that's good. We, we want that kind of pressure because we know when we get to tournaments, it's going to be tough at nationals, but you know, being on the road, there's so many great situations. We had a kid, uh, Stefan Wiederun, I'll call him out with that. And <laughs> Stefan was a, <laughs> a kid from Germany at Charlotte. And, um, we had a, 
we had a van. You're always renting these 15 passenger minivans, and and the thing wouldn't open from the inside for whatever reason. The door was getting shut, and so here we are at um, Southern Highlands in in Las Vegas, and it's just a beautiful golf course, very exclusive. You know, lots of expensive cars in the parking lot, and we're getting ready. We had we'd had a really nice tournament. We finished second. We're feeling pretty good about ourselves. And Stefan couldn't get the door to open. We had all packed up, and he needed to get outside. So he kind of pushes, pushes it back, and his butt um, smashed through the window, and and the entire side panel of the of the fifteen passenger van window just splattered on the on the front oh, porch no. there of Southern Highlands. So you know, of course, I'm embarrassed and scared, and, and trying to clean up glass, and we're trying to catch a flight. But you know, the guys are just having a ball, and of course, fly. You know. Driving down the road with an open window because of Stefan's, you know, clumsiness was was a pretty good one. That is um, a good one. One of the ones we had a similar team, <laughs> um, and I, I I think it's funny now because I think the guys in retrospect, you know, I, I realized um, one of them had a wedding. This is way back, gosh, 2010 or something like that, but. Uh, there was a wedding, and the night before one of the guys' weddings, Jonas uh, and Andrew Hedden, the player from Sweden, I was mentioning, I guess some players and parents kind of got together and, and told some funny Coach Green stories. And so, you know, I was only privy to this because they told me about it. But, you know, I do remember when it happened. We had a few guys on the team in Charlotte that, let's just say their colorful language was getting to be a little bit too much on the golf course. You know, they they uh, they, they chose a few choice words that – you know, you don't you want your grandmother to hear, but apparently they were comfortable enough letting them loose, you know, in qualifying and tournament play that, that it was okay. So I took our four worst offenders, um, and, uh, and Jonas was one of them. It was kind of one of the reasons why it was funny. But we had a practice gym at UNC Charlotte, and I cleared out the practice gym, and, and I didn't let anybody know about this, but I took those four guys in there. And so it's a huge room, just a gym, no, no uh, seats, just basketball courts, two of them side by side. And I put a single chair in each corner and under each chair, I put five <laughs> note cards and each note card has a phrase or a very colorful curse word or, or a prof- <laughs> profane term. And one at a time, I made them pull out a coat, a, a, a piece of paper, and they had to scream it at the top of their lungs. So they had to say... <laughs> They had to drop an F-bomb as loudly as they could. And I kept ramping them up. And I said, that's not loud or we're going to do push-ups. You better <laughs> scream it. And so here they are just laughing at themselves and, and, but doing it. You know, here they are. They have permission. I said, you got it. You go ahead and let them rip as much as you want, as loud as you want. Make it as, as colorful as you want. And, you know, and the point that I tried to make is that we're done. Let's let go of this. It's, it's not helping you on the golf course. Um, you know, let's just leave it in this room and, and let's, let's not use that out there. Cause it's just not doing for you what you think it is. So it was funny at the time we had a blast. Uh, I can't say that they never let, let a, a curse word go after that, but I think hopefully the point was made and we had a good time doing it. That was a great coaching Hilarious. job there, coach. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for being on. We really appreciated some awesome uh, nuggets in here for everybody and they're going to get a lot out of it. Well, you guys are doing a terrific job. You know, I think if we can do anything for junior golfers and their parents, and their families, and and not just golfers, but junior athletes, is, is just kind of uncover some of the mystery and, and make it simple and give them some things to work on. Because uh, as we all know, a lot of kids are motivated to do well. They just need to know what to do with their time. So you guys are doing a great job of sharing good information. Thanks. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks, you Coach. Have a good Talk one. To you soon. Talk to you soon. You too. Bye. Bye.
All right, he's gone. That was good. That was good.